Hey, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Jason. Um, I'm on staff here at Grace for the last four, almost five years now. I've had the privilege of being the campus pastor at our Middleton campus. I do, uh, I do, I'm the primary teacher over at the Middleton campus. And so you're probably going to yourself, well, wait a second, if you're Middleton, how are you teaching at Middleton? But you're here. We meet on Saturday evenings, and so I got, to, I got to be with my church family on Saturday evening, and then I get the privilege of today being with you all. And so um, I've got a lot to say today, so let's just dive right in. What do you say? All right. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, either physical Bible or digital Bible, I'll invite you to turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 2. And then on your way in, uh, hopefully you picked up one of these. Um, What this is, is a sermon guide. So as we're doing our sermon prep, as Keith and I are doing our, and Pastor Edgar are doing our sermon prep, we feel like these are the really important things out out of whatever section of scripture we're looking at. And then what's really cool is on the back, there's actually questions for further study. And, And I found over the last couple of years that this back section of the sermon guide has really been um, an important part of informing what my personal quiet time looks like during the week as I look back and study further in depth uh, the message from Sunday. And so here's what I want you to do. If you have one of these in a physical Bible, I want you to put it there in Romans chapter two, and then I want you to close your Bible, and then I want you to set it down and just put it away for just a second. Now, I know everybody's like, wait, that's really counterintuitive. What are you telling us to do? I promise it'll make sense. We'll get to it just really quickly. But to, to, to get started today, can I share a story with you from, from my life, from, from my, my childhood, from my teenage years that I think will, will provide a little bit of direction for where we're going today. Is that okay? Can I do that? All right, awesome. So uh, growing up, um, I, I went to uh, school, South Lake Carroll, a little town in Texas, North Texas, a Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex called South Lake. Um, and my freshman year in high school is also the same year that my brother went away to college. And so he left the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and traveled south to the Jerusalem on the Brazos or Baylor University. Thank you. That's what it's called. It's Jerusalem on the Brazos. They've got this big golden dome, and so they call it Jerusalem on the Brazos. And, uh, and being in high school, I wanted to be where all the fun was. This is back before I knew the Lord, and so um, every weekend... Uh, after a football game on Thursday or Friday, depending on whether I was playing for the JV that week or if I was playing for the varsity that week, I would get in my 1976 two-door Ford Thunderbird that was 47 feet long and got two miles to the gallon. (laughs) And I would point that bad boy south, and there aren't many hills in Texas, but there's one that runs from Dallas-Fort Worth all the way down to Waco. And you just point it in the right direction and hit coast and it'll just go, right? You can just drive for miles. And I would do this like every other week and I would travel down to Waco to to have fun with my brother and his fraternity brothers and to stay in the dorm or the apartment or wherever he was living at the time. And it was a blast. And one weekend we'd played like a double overtime football game and we were the away team and it was a a late game. And then we got on the bus and we we drove home and it was like 10.30 by the time I, I showered and got ready to leave. And like any smart junior, year in high school, I decided to go home and go to bed and then go the next morning. No, that's not what I did. I got in my car and said, I'm going to Waco, man. By the time I get there, it's going to be like 12 o'clock and the party's just going to get started. And I got in my car and I started driving. And the next thing I know, I was pulling into my brother's driveway with no recollection of the hour and a half drive from Dallas to Waco. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You do that? Typically, you probably do it on a Monday morning right after the weekend, and you're driving to work, and you're like, how did I get here? 
I've only got one shoe on. I think that there's potential that some of us do that on a Sunday morning. And I'm not talking about the drive here, although maybe some of us, the only way that we got here is because of rumble strips that kept us in the lane. But that we walk in and we get our cup of coffee and we say hi to our friends and we, we, we come into the sanctuary and we find our spot and we sat down and we stand up and we sing at the right times and then we sit down when we're supposed to and then the pastor starts preaching and then the next thing that we know, he's saying amen and everybody's getting up and we're leaving. We have no recollection of what was said or what happened or what we were taught. We sleepwalk our way through service, y'all, and I'm not preaching at you, I'm talking with you because I'm guilty of this. When I preach a message on Saturday evening and I come over on a Sunday morning, you, you don't see me, but in the 8.30 service, I sit right over there where Pastor Keith is sitting because I need to sit under the spiritual authority of my lead pastor and listen to him teach. And three weeks ago, I did that, man. I had no idea what he said. And I preached the same message the night before. And it's a danger that we can fall in. And today, guys, listen, I'm going to be saying some things that are hard to hear today. And I don't want you to get caught in this trap of sleepwalking through this message because the people that stand up in this pulpit, Pastor Keith primarily, but occasionally others of us up here, we're up here for your joy, not your happiness. And today I'm up here for your joy and I'm gonna say things that are hard to hear today. So I wanna make sure that we're all, everybody in here is awake and ready to go. So I want you to turn to the person to your left and say, wake up. Yeah. And I want you to turn to the person to your right and say, wake up. All right, here we go. We finished chapter one last week with a pretty grim description of what the sinner looks like. Verse 29, it says this, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Paul's writing, evil, greed, and depravity, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We're all feeling pretty good about ourselves, aren't we? Then Paul adds, there are gossips, and we're guilty now. Paul continues, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Man, I've done some pretty bad things, but I ain't ever invented a way of doing evil. And then Paul adds, they disobey their parents. Oh, we're all guilty. And we continue reading in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Paul's basically saying there, God has a right to judge everybody that practices everything that we just read in verse 29 of chapter one, verse three. Do you suppose, O oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them to yourselves, that you will escape judgments? Now, Paul, man, here, Paul's a highfalutin thinking guy. He uses $5 words when $2 words will do. So can I break this down and can I give you the Jason version of what he just talked about? Is that okay? I got the microphone, so we're going to do it anyways. It reminds me of the show from Netflix called Nailed It. Anybody ever seen that show? Now, listen, if you haven't seen that show, I'm not advocating that you run home, go run home and watch it. While parts of it are hilarious, the host can be wildly inappropriate at times. So I'm not advocating that you watch it, but in this show, there is a, a deep, 
spiritual truth that I think that we can pull out that Paul's talking about here in the first three verses of Romans chapter two. So what we're gonna do, I'm just gonna show you what the show's about. So guys, show me the, the first picture of the gingerbread house. So this is what the show is all about. So they get 10 or 11 contestants and they put them in a kitchen and then they give them this gingerbread. This is actually a physical gingerbread that's sitting there and they have like three hours to recreate this gingerbread house. <coughs> Sorry. Now they have to they have to bake the gingerbread from scratch. They have to do everything from scratch, make their own icing and all, but there's candies and stuff like that. So then they get the three hours. And then at the end of that three hours, they bring their, their creations in and the judges judge it. And this is what it looks like. Show us the bad gingerbread house. <laughs> Nailed it. Y'all, that candy cane on the right still has a wrapper on it. You can see the barcode. They didn't even take time to unwrap their candy cane. Are you kidding me? Show me the next good picture, the, uh, the cake. Man, that's like a groom's cake at a wedding right there. Look at that thing. That thing is gorgeous, man. Show me the, show me the other version of that. <laughs> Let's all say it together. Nailed it. Uh, show me the, uh, the good Rapunzel. <clears throat> now, this is a castle cake, y'all. You can't see it, but this thing's like three feet tall. Rapunzel's there in a window. Her hair is flowing down. It's beautiful. It's this great, wonderful scene. Show us the recreation. Ah! Oh, man. One more for you. One more. Show me, show me the good pirate. This one's actually my favorite because this is a donut. And if you can't tell by looking at me, I like me some donuts. And so what the contestants had, they had to, from scratch, make their own donut and then decorate it, you know, and do all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the one that we're going to see, they forgot to properly cool the donut. And so they applied icing to a hot donut, and this is what happens when you do that. <laughs> this entire show, y'all, is based on my, what I make, not being as bad as the next person next to me. That's what the whole show is based on. None of them are good. Even the person that wins the show at the end, it's horrible. That, that, the Rapunzel that I showed you, that was the winning cake at the end of the show. <laughs> the entire show is based on my junk not looking as bad as somebody else's stuff. And that's what Paul's talking about in the first, first three verses of Romans chapter two. What he's saying here is, is that someone else's worst sin doesn't make my sin any better. We get into this little trap of playing this comparing game where we compare my sin versus Bobby's sin next to me. And I go, yeah, man, I know that I've done some bad things, but at least I'm not as bad as him. Man, can you believe that if I did that? We play this game where we, we read Romans 1.29 and we feel really good about ourselves. Let's read it again lest we forget. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Even the, 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 the note that I wrote for, for the first uncomfortable truth on your sermon guide that someone's worst sin doesn't make my sin better is not even written properly theologically. Because it's a, it's a category of sin where I'm saying, yeah, I mean, this sin is bad, but their worst sin makes me look better. In God's eyes, it's all sin. Look at the list. He puts a gossip with 
evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, malice, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil. If you've disobeyed your parents or you gossip, you're guilty of all of them. And it's a favorite drum to beat on, but social media is the perfect place to gossip about people without talking to anybody else. We look, we read, we compare. I can't believe so-and-so did this. I'm gonna arrange my picture so my life looks just so perfect and I'm gonna put it out there and everybody's gonna see how wonderful my life is while behind the four inch by four inch picture they can't see the chaos that's going on. We just hammer on it because we're guilty of it ourselves, guys. I, I catch myself trolling people on Twitter all the time. Woe to me. How dare I? Someone else's worst sin doesn't make my sin feel better. Here's the, here, here's the problem with that, though, is when we get into the comparison game, right? When I, when I compare my sin, I, I'm just going to pick on Pastor Keith. So I don't, when I compare, you know, my sin to Pastor Keith's sin, and I go, his sin is way worse than my sin. I mean, at least I'm not doing that. I've only got this. For a moment, that makes me feel better, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Because we play that comparison game and it, it makes me feel better. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, fill in the blank. At least I don't do such and such, fill in the blank. I'm here to tell you today, your feelings are lying to you. It may make you feel better temporarily, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the fact that you have sin. We play the comparison game. All it does is emphasize our guilt before God. Look at verse three with me. Do you suppose, oh man... Who, uh, who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God. You won't. You're only enhancing your guilt before God when you judge others, when you compare your sin to theirs. Let's keep reading and see what God has for us next. Verse four, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, there's a $5 word, it just means unrepentant. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. While this section of Romans chapter two is primarily talking to believers, and that's who this message is for today, primarily those of you that are sitting in this room or that are watching online and can hear the sound of my voice, is written primarily to believers. Paul is talking to a second subgroup here, and we're gonna look at that in just a minute. But what Paul is teaching us in verses four and five is this, that delayed judgment is meant to lead to repentance. So it's a problem when we think about judgment, we think that if I haven't been judged for it, if I don't got the punishment, then I'm not guilty yet that I can just keep doing what I'm doing in secret and as long as nobody finds out about it, I'm gonna be okay. And it's this little game that we play with ourselves, right? We do it in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We do it in small groups where, we're, where, we, where we confess sin and we're like, man, I'm struggling with this and, and I can't do this. And we, and we pray for that person. We go, man, it's gonna be better next week. You're gonna fight harder. God's gonna give you victory. And then you go through your week and you come back and you go, hey, how did it go, Edgar? How did it go last week, man? Did you? And Edgar goes, man, you know, I did pretty good. I got till Thursday and then I stumbled and fell. 
And then we go, oh man, we're, God's going to give you victory. We're going to pray for it. We're going we're gonna to do, but you're going to do better. We're going to work harder. We're going to try harder. We're going to be better. We're going to do these things. It's going to work out. And then we go through the week and Edgar comes back and I go, hey, Edgar, how'd you go? And man, Edgar goes, man, I lasted 30 minutes after the meeting and then I stumbled and fell. And at worst, what it is, is it's this repentance followed up with a lie because you know you're really not going to change the habit or the sin. And at worst, it's repentance and willful disobedience because you don't want to change. You love what you're doing. And part of the problem is we don't have this understanding of what repentance is. It's, it's this word in the original language that has, it's a, it's a word picture that means two things. It, it, it means first, uh, uh, I wish that I would have made a different decision. It's almost like buyer's remorse. Like, oh, I wish I would have gone with this versus that. Right? I wish I would have gone with this shirt, not that shirt. But in the context of sin and repentance, you're saying, I wish that I wouldn't have made that decision. But then the second part of that picture is this idea of making that decision that I wish that I would have made a different decision. But then, true repentance is turning away from that sin and turning to somebody. It's a, it's a turning away from a willful disobedience and it's a turning to someone. Now the trap here for us is that oftentimes we turn to just something else that we think isn't as bad as what we're turning away from. God's delayed judgment is meant to lead to repentance. He's not giving you some, some fictional future victory over sin. He's giving you victory over sin today. Victory over your sin, your struggle, your addiction, whatever it is, is yours today. Keith has been very open about struggles in his past. I've stood on the stage and never shared this with you, but I had a 22-year addiction to chewing tobacco. And it's something that I fought my entire life. And this year, I had to go to Tony and Keith and my wife and kids and repent because I stumbled and fell. And I went to my wife and my kids and she doesn't even know I'm sharing this and she's watching right now, weeping before them, wishing that I would have made a different decision in that moment, but I didn't. And so I had to live with the, I had to live. There were consequences for that. And then I had to, to turn to Keith, my boss, and say, Keith and Tony had to sit down and say, hey guys, before the staff meeting on Monday, I have to talk to you. And we went in and sat down and there was forgiveness and there was restoration, but there were consequences for my choice. And just because God hasn't, judged you for whatever it is in your life doesn't mean that it's not coming. His delayed judgment is meant to lead you to repentance. Should you choose not to, know that it is coming. And I know this thought that runs through our mind that, that you can't really do it till you get everything cleaned up like that you gotta get all your ducks in a row that, that somehow, someway, God's in love with some future perfect version of you. He's not in love with some future perfect version of you. 
Do you know what he's in love with? Guys, sh show me that picture again. He's in love with that version of you. That's what you are. Show me the good version of that picture. He sees you like that through the lens of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be that. Jesus is that for you. Quit trying to make your life perfect. It's never gonna be there. You're jacked up, you're messed up, just like me, just like Keith, just like Pastor Edgar, all of us. Then there's the second group that Paul's talking to in verse five. Look at me, I'll get off my soapbox there. But because of your heart and an impenitent heart, that's unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Man, that's a pretty scary description right there. There's a day of wrath coming and you're storing up wrath on the day of wrath. That's like double wrath. That's that new math, I'm sorry. I'll pay for that one when I get home. She doesn't even teach math. She teaches English, but I'll still pay for it. You're, start, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This group is, the one, is those of you that are sitting in this audience or listening to the sound of my voice that just, for whatever reason, refuse to repent. You refuse to listen to the call of the Holy Spirit. You just don't care. You don't want to be in relationship with God. You've got your life. You're going to do what you want, and it doesn't matter. Or you think that you just have more time. I can do what I want to do. I can live the way that I want to live because I'll just make this choice when I'm 95 right before I die. And, and I think part of this mindset comes from two different viewpoints that we have of God. I feel like today's message is full of caveats. Like, I'm not endorsing this movie, but has anybody seen the movie Talladega Nights? <laughs> okay, we need to have another sermon series. <laughs> There's this scene in there at Christmas dinner, right, where the main character, Will Fowler's character, Ricky Bobby, is, is praying for Christmas dinner. And his prayer is what? Like, dear sweet baby Jesus, lying in a manger. Sweet baby adolescent Jesus, thank you. And it's this viewpoint that Jesus just is all he is is, a, is sweet baby Jesus in a manger. We pull him out at Christmas and it, we arrange everything just so and, and then, but then we put baby Jesus away for the rest of the year. Except for the one time a year when we celebrate the other version of Jesus that we like to really talk about and that's at Easter. The sacrificial lamb. And both of them are amazing and they're both worth celebrating because they're Christ incarnate, right? Jesus came as a babe, born of a virgin in a manger, traded a throne of eternal glory to come be in our mess so that he could redeem you and me. And for 33 years, he marched step after step knowing that his final step was gonna lead to him being nailed on a cross. And those are the two versions of Jesus that we like to talk about, that we, that we like to think about, that we put on our coffee mugs or on our, on our cute little wall hangings. But there's a third version of Jesus that Paul writes about here that's just as real. 
And just because you don't think about it or talk about it doesn't mean that it's not coming because it is. Now listen, church, this is the part where I told you that I'm gonna say some things that are hard to hear. Right now is it, so don't fall asleep on me. Stick with me because it's gonna be important. Read with me in verse six. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be a tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul writes that in there. But what he's saying is everybody, everybody, he's including everybody in this statement. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Again, Paul is writing to two groups of people here. First, he's writing to believers. And what he's saying is God will judge. It feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? We like to think of God as just love and mercy and kindness and grace. And he is all of those things. But at his core, uh, Psalms 89 says that his throne, the foundation that he sets on his throne, the foundation of that is righteousness and justice. God will judge. Now for the believer, we get nervous and we're like, all right, what's Pastor Jason saying here? You're getting, you're bouncing around. This is not you being judged for your salvation. For the believer, there is no condemnation in respect to your sin. You have been justified by faith. John 3.18 says this, John 5.24, Romans 8.1, Romans 8.13 through 17. You have been justified by faith, but you will face judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not related to salvation, but it is a bestowal of rewards. And every Christian is assured that you will receive something. Listen, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is plain about this. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Let no man boast. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Romans 14, 12 says this, so then each one of us will give an account before God. One day you're gonna stand before God and give an account for the choices that you made. See, true salvation and repentance leads to obedience. Jesus in John 8, 29 connects the oneness with the Father. He's saying that the Father and I are one, that, he, that, that the Father never leaves me alone. And the reason that he connects those two things is because he says this, because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The, the work of your hands will reflect the attitude of your heart, church. If you live by the mantra, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to receive permission, it says something about the attitude of your heart. God will judge. To the unbeliever, the second group that Paul is writing to, judgment is coming. Hear this today. Your disobedience is storing up wrath for yourself. 
A.W. Pink describes God's wrath this way. He says, the wrath of God is his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is the displeasure and indignation of a divine God against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred up into action against sin. God is angry with sin because it is rebellion against his authority. Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says this about the day of the Lord for the unbeliever. Hear this. This is what is in store for you if you choose to continue to live in rebellion against the holy God. It says this, the great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick, thick darkness. There is a, a hymn sung in the Middle Ages that says this, that day of wrath, that dreadful day, when heaven and earth shall pass away, what power shall be the sinner's stay? How shall he meet that dreadful day? Listen, guys. What Paul is saying in these 11 verses, that his big point, that the big idea that he's getting across to you today is that for the believer, today is a day of repentance. And if you're sitting out there in the crowd and you're not in relationship with Jesus, today is the day of salvation for you. Listen, on that day of wrath that we read in Zephaniah chapter one, verses 14 and 15, make no mistake, we are all going to face the wrath of God. Everybody sitting in this room, everybody watching online, we are all going to face the wrath of God. How we face it. Now you could face it standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that song we sang, thanks for the blood applied. And Jesus doesn't see you. He sees the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of of his son covering a multitude of sins. Or you have the choice. It's up to you. You could stand in your own unrighteousness. You can stand in your own righteousness before God. And the Bible says that your righteousness is like a filthy rag. I've been wiping my sweat all day with this thing. Anybody want to use this? That's your righteousness before a holy God. Only it's way worse in the Bible. It's a filthy rag. It's disgusting. It's gross. You don't have a chance if you stand in your own righteousness. Today is the day of repentance for the believer. Today is the day of salvation for the unbeliever. And so here's what I'm going to ask. Everybody in this room, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. 
And I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for two different groups of people today. I'm gonna pray for the believer that has hidden secret sin that you're hiding, that you just, you're praying that nobody finds out about. Today is a day of repentance. Confess it and turn away from it. And then I'm gonna pray for the unbelievers in this room. Today is a day of salvation for you. You just gotta ask Jesus into your heart. So I'm gonna pray for us and then afterwards we're gonna do one more thing. So Father God, thank you so much Jesus for what you did on the cross. We are so grateful. God, for the believer in this room that's struggling with, with hidden secret sin, Father, I pray that, that you, would, you would help them have the courage to, to confess and repent, to, to turn away from that sin and turn to you for their present victory today over sin. And then God, for the unbeliever that's sitting in this place that feels the weight of the Holy Spirit pressing in on them and saying, I don't want to face the day of wrath in my own righteousness. I want to stand in God's right. I want to stand in Jesus' righteousness. Today is the day of salvation for you. So Father, for both of those groups all across this room, I pray in your precious and holy name, amen. I want to do one more thing. We're going to do this every week during this series. For the believer, for the unbeliever, if you were a part of either one of those prayers, either confessing and repenting of sin, or maybe for the first time today, you're like, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to stand up because I want to celebrate with you. If you're in either one of those groups, stand up right now. Yeah. Awesome. If today, if today was a day of salvation for you, do me a favor. I want you to come forward as I dismiss everybody because I, I just want to connect with you before you leave. Hey, don't forget as you leave to look for a Grace, quiz, Grace Kids quizzing in the red shirts and the corridors. Go in his grace and peace. Have a wonderful day.